This is a hat trick podcast. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real, practical advice? I'm Diggory Waite, and this is The Real Sex Education. Each week, I'll be joined by a guest. We'll impart our own sex wisdom, ask our own sex questions, and we'll go over all the things they don't teach you in school. To bring this all together, though, we'll need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. On the show today... We speak to comedian and quizzer Paul Sinha. This is officially my entry into the United Kingdom podcast scene. We speak about finding your perfect match. There are 15 different people who want to discuss last week's FA Cup semi-final on Money Grinder. The unbearable jealousy that Paul felt at public school. I wasn't a boarder, but every time you start hearing rumours of that sort of thing that going to boarding school, you would feel insanely jealous. And we find time for Paul to tell us a joke as well. What I call jokes that change my life. Welcome to The Real Sex Education. I'm Digri Waite, and as ever, I'm joined by sex and relationship therapist Kate Campbell. Hello, Mum. Hello, Diggs. How are you doing today? Great, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, we have a great interview with Paul Sinha coming up. Very open, very honest. One of the things about the interview is that Paul came with a story to tell, and that's a bit different from the usual way the show goes. I mean, his sex education, for instance, was was very, very basic. And I know a lot of people in the 80s said, you know, they just got to watch a film or something like that. Um, I guess it's a mercy that you weren't around in the 80s because you could never just sit and watch a film, could you? I had to, I had to go and act it out. That yeah. would have been weird. That would have been weird in the classroom. That would have been really weird. That yeah. was. I'd watch a film. Like, what was my first film? Oh, the first life. time at the cinema was A Bug's Life. And you yeah. lay under the seats, under the seats of people eating popcorn and uh, with your mouth open. So I didn't watch the film at all? Not really. <laughs> um, but no, I'd watch a film at home or whatever. And then I'd just, I'd be like, right, I've had enough of this now. I've seen enough on screen that now I'm just going to do it myself. So I then would get my toys out and I'd act out the rest of the film. Yeah, myself. and do little drawings of all the characters and things mm. like that. Yeah. God, just, what changed? What, mm. Yeah. Good point. Well, before you listen to Paul Sinha's interview, I'd just like to remind you that at the end of our show, we give you the chance to have your questions answered by Kate, a real sex and relationship therapist. You can send in your queries to podcasts at hatchet.com. That's hatchet with two T's. But before we get there, we spoke with Paul Sinha, the only openly gay, British Asian, qualified doctor and television quizzer on the United Kingdom podcast scene. This is officially my entry into the United Kingdom podcast scene. Really? Before I was just somebody who sometimes did podcasts, now I'm actually part <laughs> of a scene. 
And it's very exciting. I have to say, I did nick that line from one of your stand-up pieces where you said it was the United Kingdom comedy scene. So I hope you don't mind me. Of course not. These are my yeah. words. You've only changed one word. <laughs> That's true enough. So let's get right down and dirty with it. It's called The Real Sex Education, this podcast. So what was your sex education actually like? Um, I, it's, it's hard to start without giving some background to how odd it is to have the realisation that you're travelling in a different lane to everybody else. Mm. Mm. Which I mean, I knew I was gay from about the age of eight. Right. Mm. From about the age of eight, I found myself emotionally and at some other level attracted to other boys in my school. And I just didn't know what was going on. And mm. nobody told me. No, you know, there was no information about it. There was just a sense that Mr Humphreys and are you being served might be having similar tastes to you. <laughs> okay, I'm born in 1970, to give everyone a sort of time context. When you add to that, I'm from, I'd say, a traditional Bengali family, highly educated, my dad a doctor, my mum a nurse, my dad's dad a doctor. They would have come to Britain, essentially, to give their kids the best education. Although not conservative with a big C, I'd say conservative was still what they were. Add that to that, and you get a situation where I'm not being having access to any real level of information at all as to what's happening with me. Then add to that that I went to a traditional all-boys prep school and a traditional all-boys public school. And you have a situation where not only am I confused and walking down a different lane, but I'm being constantly stimulated, constantly, by the fact that I'm surrounded by people that I'm attracted to. There is a massively strong tradition of teenage homosexual activity, particularly if you're boarding. Yeah. I wasn't a boarder, but every time you start hearing rumours of the sort of things that are going on at boarding school, and you would feel insanely jealous <laughs> that you were, you, were, you were a day student. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of schools, and you must stress this in the 1980s, sex education as in what the school provided when it comes to sex education was simply a mechanism by which you would pass, in my, t- in my case, O-level, but uh, now GCSE biology. Yeah. While, other, while all the other kids were giggling and going, <laughs> I was like, what? That, that, that goes in there? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Are you insane? So if you look at the board now, we've taken a detailed look at both the female reproductive organ and the male reproductive organ. And in this next slide, everyone, we're going to see how they come together. Okay, here we go. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Class, class, settle down, please. Settle. Oh, goodness. Lucy, could, could you get mentioned, please? I, I think Paul might have fainted. So we'd spoken to Paul about his sex education at school in the 1980s and how there was nothing in that sex ed schooling to do with homosexuality. That wasn't due to an oversight or incompetence on the teacher's part. It was actually due to a piece of legislation referred to as Section 28. Um, That prevented teaching about homosexuality. Could you tell us a bit more about that legislation, Mum? Well, Section 28 was Section 28 of the Local Government Act 1988, but that also amended other acts in the rest of the UK, um, which meant that it was illegal to suggest that 
a gay family could be considered normal or to really talk about being gay at all. So sex education in schools became really basic because everyone was so scared. Everyone was terrified of mentioning anything about gay sex or anything remotely different in case it meant they ended up in, in trouble. When was this, 1988? That was 1988. The whole wow. thing started earlier in the 80s when the Daily Mail ran a campaign suggesting that left-wing councils were hurting family values by containing books that were um, about gay families, I guess. So there was one called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin. That was a book by Suzanne Bosch. And it was about a little girl who was brought up by gay dads. So we we would take that kind of book for granted Mm. um, nowadays. But at the time, it caused a terrific stir. And it set set forth this whole witch hunt almost, which which meant that that you just couldn't talk about, about gay sex at all in schools. Or, in, or for youth groups and that sort of thing. A lot of youth groups that were helping um, young people close down. And it meant really that there was nowhere for people to go, nowhere for young people to go for advice. And Paul makes this very clear. He felt very out there on his own. There was no support, no help available. And, and teachers could be in really serious trouble for offering it or youth workers could, be, could get into trouble. And it was... It was it was. It came in in the kind of um, atmosphere of HIV/AIDS, which had just started um, in the eighties, and so there were because that affected some gay men. There was a lot of feeling that there was something off about gay people. Um, not everybody thought that at all, absolutely. Mm. But they, but they, but that sort of feeling was fueled a bit by by inaccurate newspaper stories and that sort of thing. So it was a really really difficult time. Mm. So there. Was- was like a, so because of the HIV/AIDS crisis at the, in the eighties, mm. which which like you say led to this sort of hysteria around gay people and the gay community. Um, yeah, that uh, and that's what fueled this Section Twenty Eight and and a lot of this. Y- sort that's of stuff. right. The government was very keen on on promoting the idea of the traditional nuclear family, and of course, you know anything anything like this seemed to be detracting from that. So it was. It, it was it was very difficult and it, it was a long time. It was actually 2000, 2003 before it started changing in different parts of the UK. So was this affecting primary schools or secondary schools or everything? Everything. Everything. Yeah, wow. you, just, you just couldn't talk about it. It's interesting as well because you hear about the book and this legislation and you think, OK, well, that was then and mm. now we've come so much further but you hear mm. about what's going on currently in the midlands in, in birmingham and a concerted effort from people to stop similar things being taught about you know um homosexuality about trans people there's there's still people today who don't want these things taught to children at school well that's some parents and i think that that's happened because there's so much noise in the media about or so, or and on social media about some of the things associated with sex education at the moment that they've perhaps got the wrong idea about what it involves and when you don't understand something or don't know about it or don't have a balanced view it's very easy to take a particular polarized view and just say oh no and of course it's understandable because people are worried about their children and they're worried about the children's welfare but it's possibly mistaken I wish, I wish there was a more interesting tale about how I dealt with this mystery. 
I may not have known the facts of life. All my friends did. And a guy called Bappy, whose family we stayed with a lot during Christmas, told me, we were staying in his room, me, Bappy and one of his friends, when he told the following joke, what I call the joke that changed my life. And the joke was, a woman walks into a sperm bank and says, I'd like to make a deposit. And then she spits into a handkerchief. <laughs> that is the joke that changed my life. The reason being, Bappy's friend laughed uproariously at the joke, and Bappy uproariously laughed at the joke he'd just told. And I quite clearly didn't get the joke. I didn't mm. understand what the joke meant at any level. And then Bappy went, ah, right. And he stood up, and he dragged it from the top, uh, top uh, level of his um, shelves, a Star Wars toy box. And inside was hardcore pornography. Wow. And he went through, from start to finish, what men and women actually do. And I could never be more grateful to him for that evening in Rochdale. Because suddenly, I understood everything. I understood that I was gay. I understood that I would never be doing any of these things. I understood that heterosexual people don't just have sex to procreate. And my whole life, honestly, my, the, whole, the whole way that I viewed life suddenly transformed. As I went from shy, bookish, travelling down a different lane, Paul Sinha, to, ah, I understand everything now. Now I can be the person I want to be, funny, observational, and with an understanding of human nature. That whole evening changed everything. Those pornography magazines was my sex education. No use to my own personal development as a, a mm. person with his own sexuality, but a lot of use to how I saw the world. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So with his poor sex education in mind and Section 28 still being prevalent at the time, I asked Paul what effect that had. I was ill-prepared as a result of going out into the big wide world. It was quite obvious that I didn't really know what I was meant to be doing in bed. I was a medical student in London. I had access to a gay scene in London and I just didn't know anything. I didn't know what it was I was meant to be doing. I didn't realise that you don't have to do whatever it is that you were meant to be. Mm. I don't think you don't actually, it's not, it's not a compulsion, it's entirely your choice. The, one of the things I found fascinating about how people perceive gay men is that they all think gay men do this and do that mm. and do this. And I have to try and explain to them this notion that the anal sex is what we do is absolute nonsense. Hmm. It's just another heteronormative idea, isn't it? And it took me a while 
to realize that. Yeah. It took me real to realize actually just do what you feel comfortable with. Precisely. You're, you're, you don't have to do what heterosexuals think mm. you do. And that was an edu- you know, that, if, if you talk about sex education, I did it on the, on, on the go. Mm. But the point you make about not having to do what somebody else wants you to do is really important because I think even today I talk to a lot of young people coming out and feeling that they're doing it wrong and they're being told by somebody more experienced, well, if you were a real gay, you'd do this. And that still happens. So, uh, you, you know, that's, that's an important point to get across. I mean, my, my first... I'm, I'm, in, in, so, in some ways, I, I want to be open and say, no, no, I'm going to say it. But my first my first encounter was abusive. Oh. It was it there was there was mm. a fair degree of what I would call non consensual activity, um, and there was a fair degree of consensual activity, and there you have the situation where you don't know what you're meant to be doing, yeah. and suddenly the guy's resenting the fact that you're actually saying no to stuff because he'd assumed because he'd said yes to some stuff that you'd say yes to all stuff. Mm. And that's kind of what I mean by education on the go, is I had to understand what it was I wanted to do and what it was I didn't want to do, and that it was okay to just say no. Mm. Before we go any further, what is consent? Well, it's it's complex, really. I mean, I suppose it's it's about giving permission without coercion to give that permission and to maintain that permission as well. Mm. So, so permission it, for, for, for sexual activity in well, this yeah, case. And it, consent doesn't just apply to intercourse. It applies to any kind of, of sexual... Oh, it should apply to any kind of sexual activity. And it's, it's difficult because uh, it, when you think about it, you, somebody can change their mind and you have to still be aware that they are giving their consent. They're still, Mm. because they said or appeared to give the impression that something was okay at one time, it doesn't mean that they're going to continue to give that consent. They can change their mind and withdraw it. So so consent is something that you have to be looking for. You have to be on the lookout for it. Mm, Exactly. And that's what Paul mentions there, is that in Mm. in this section encounter, because he was okay in consenting to some things, his partner at the time thought, oh, he will be comfortable and consenting to other things. And yes. he wasn't. And, and he it, wasn't. I think hearing that from Paul shows, or at least showed me, the importance of a proper sex education. You know, yeah. he had to learn on the go, and that meant that his safety was... Compromised. Yeah. Mm, absolutely it's so important and detail is important as he said you know he there, there was a lot that he that he just was completely unaware of and he i mean the whole the whole consent issue would is so important and mm. so needs discussing but also the 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 nitty-gritty the nuts and bolts of of what gay sex actually is would have been quite useful to know something about and that, that's the yeah. thing so uh, across the board you had not even maybe a basic understanding of what gay sex was because that was denied by his sex education. You know, all it was is what we spoke about as well, which was this sort of heteronormative idea of it, yeah. anal sex, etc. cetera. So yeah. all these expectations that come with it. And then consent as well, which, as you say, yeah. 
we on this podcast we will keep talking about it it will over keep and coming over up. again it, it will, will keep, keep coming, coming up. up yeah and because Absolutely. partly because it needs to but partly because it is such a massive yeah, thing but but also what he says about doing what you feel like doing will keep coming up because mm. that is so important there are no that you can't have rules about this sort of thing i mean and, and people do have really silly ideas like all gay women don't like penetration. Some of them do. Some of them love it. And some absolutely hate it. But but don't make assumptions about anybody, I think, is the answer. You're absolutely right. But I think this also drums home the importance of learning about consent. Absolutely. And, and for your sex education, that needs to be a, a humongous pillar of it. This starts in nursery. I mean, it starts so young. When mm. when children ask for things, they learn to ask. They learn that sometimes people say no and that they have to, to manage their feelings when that happens. It starts so early and it goes, and it should go all the way through school until it becomes more sophisticated as you reach your teens and as perhaps people are starting to think about becoming sexually active. Mm. But it, but the general principle of consent can start from birth, really. Uh, and hopefully it can continue through this podcast. And as I say, when we, when we keep talking about it, we will keep drumming home home those points. Because, mm. you know, we've talked many a times about, oh, my sex education let me down because I didn't mm. know how to put a condom on or whatever. Mm. This was where it wasn't just, a, you know, acute teenage fumbling. This is this is safety. Exactly. Yes. After we spoke with Paul about consent, I asked him if there was anything else that made up his sex education. There's one last part, and that is that in 1993, 993, no, 994, somebody rang my mum, don't know who, still don't know who, but it had to be one of my friends because they had my mum's number. It must have been a drunken prank from one of my friends. And just went, your son's gay put the phone down. And my mum rang me up and said, is this true? And I just burst into tears and I went around to chat to my mum. And I, I went into a bit of slough of, of depression as a result of having the whole coming out process to my mum taken away from me by a drunken mm. friend. Uh, and I went to see one of those people that they used to have in the 1990s that would advertise themselves, are you gay, question mark? Come and have a chat with us. We're non-judgmental people. And I rang the number and I went to a flat in Wimbledon Find a sort of benign 50, 60 year old man. And what shocked me more than anything else is he literally had nothing useful to say to me whatsoever. His entire advice to me was, Are you sure? Well, yeah, I've had sex with quite a lot of men by now. Okay, well, just in case you're not sure, join a swimming club. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this is honestly, this is the advice he gave me. Oh. He said, if you, if you have. <laughs> proximity to both young men and young women in the same environment, you'll soon find out whether you're gay or not. That was it. Wow. And this is, I, I, I was looking for some sort of, what on earth do I do with my life? And mum's just yeah. found out I'm gay. And I really don't know how to deal with it. And that was his advice. I couldn't believe it. That's horrifying. I, I haven't even discussed coming out to my dad in 2005. Now, wow. Coming out to my dad in 2005 is very much what my post-2005 years have all been about, because talking about it on stage in 2006 got me an Edinburgh Comedy nomination, which got me steps up in my career, and this, that and the other. Did it, did it go well when you told him? It went better than I could possibly have imagined. Number one, never underestimate the degree to which they've worked it out themselves. Yeah. But I also think 
what actually helped me was the number of my Bengali friends who'd had first marriages that failed. Yeah. They've all come from a background where you married someone and when you died, you widowed them. You know, that's all that ever happened. This idea that people could, A, marry outside the community and B, marry the wrong person, and I think that's the key, mm. um, helped me out. For young people who are thinking about coming out to their parents, was there anything that else that went well about you coming out to yours that maybe they can take solace in? Never underestimate the degree to which your parents are people of the world. Mm. They may seem fuddy-duddy and otherworldly to you, and my God, he's never even heard of tiny temper. <laughs> it may seem like that. But my mum and dad travelled through continents to make a new life. Uh, my mum was a midwife. To put it bluntly, she's seen a vagina or two. <laughs> my dad was an anaesthetist, mostly in the obstetrics and gynaecology end of surgical procedures. They've lived a life, is what I'm saying. Mm. And so they may not understand necessarily what you're going through, but they do know at least that you didn't sit down one day and go, do you know what? I think I'm going to be gay. They're aware that this is who you are rather than who you chose to be. So, Paul, we've spoken a lot about the 80s and sort of your younger formative years. I was just wondering, how do you think gay people are received now? You know, how have you been received coming out as a person, but also a, a person of public interest today? How have things changed? I mean, I... No, in, in a nice little coda, in, in February this year, I hosted a quiz for the old boys of my prep school. And when I say I hosted, I co-hosted it with my husband, Ollie, mm. who I described as my husband, Ollie. And nobody batted an eyelid. It was quite weird to, to square the circle again. You know, it's a bit like the end of Billy Elliot when um, his gay friend turns up in the audience. Just to give a little wave and go, yes, that's all right. I, be I became a happy gay man. You could, you could relax. Did that feel liberating then, to be back in that context and, and being so open? Uh, absolutely, yeah. It, feel, it feels, I mean, who doesn't want to be open about their life? One of the things that we all crave is that we live our lives free of judgment and free of... And free of... Shame. Shame, yes. And just, mm. this is my husband, Oliver. There has been coined on UrbanDictionary.com, a phrase called the Sinha Sesh. <laughs> right. I'm well known for my enjoyment of hanging out with strangers, posing for selfies mm. and getting drunk, and Ollie is always there. Mm. It's always, this is my husband, Ollie, or this is my boyfriend, Ollie, or this is my fiance Ollie. Uh, and people go, oh, yeah, hi, Ollie, how are you going? They don't go, oh, I didn't know you were gay. They mm. go, oh, yeah, hi, Ollie. Mm. It's, 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 a, it's a joyous thing to see. Mm. The other day... I found a video of me and Ollie drunkenly singing to the song The Impossible Dream at the end of our wedding. And it's a video that I watched quite a lot. And we were reduced to standing on chairs singing it. And the audience are cheering and screaming their delight. And I thought I'd put it on Twitter because I thought it was something entertaining to watch. And the next thing I know, it's, it's in the uh, online pages of the tabloids. Cineman shares hilarious drunken video. And of the 42 comments in the Daily Mail comment section, all 42 were positive. Mm. Really? It's not that I haven't had problems. I know what homophobia is. I know what racism is. It's just that being surrounded by being having a life where I'm surrounded by relatively intelligent people all my life has inoculated me against the worst excesses of it. Mm. I think is mm. how is how I'd how I describe my life. Yeah. 
So, Paul, now's the time in the show that we usually ask our guests, how was it for you? What did you learn, maybe about yourself or or just in general? Um, I mean, how was it for me? Great. I love talking to strangers. And as you can tell, I never really stop talking. <laughs> it's fine. And at this time, any human communication is great. Yeah. So how was it for me? Absolutely lovely. Uh, if I've learned one thing, all I really think is I never... I never went into life actively wanted to be a person that was walking on his own on an outside lane. I don't know why life chose me as the person whose life is so weirdly, weirdly um, not similar to anybody else's life, but I'm grateful for it in terms of a career in comedy. I guess what I, it, what, what's coming out very much for me lis- listening to you is how much you value individuality. And I think that's a great takeaway, isn't it? That we should all just be ourselves. Absolutely. Um, if, if there's one thing that I'd like to be a patron saint of, if you like, it's that idea. As a gay person, you can be anything that you want to be. You don't have to be defined by what straight people and gay media have decided that you should be defined by. And the World Wide Web and the access to more information and the access to understanding alternative lifestyles and all of this, this all of this helps. Mm. We live in a far, far bigger world than we did when I was a teenager. In, in the 1980s, because the internet has opened up that world. If you want to go to a meeting for sadomasochistic, bisexual, tra- transgender bridge players who have a thing for the ace of clubs rather than any of the other cards, you'll find one in Western Norwood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it'd yeah. be quite exciting, actually, to be 20 again and yeah. go, right, life's very different. I've looked at my grinder and, my God, there are 15 different people who want to discuss last week's FA Cup semi-final on my grinder. <laughs> the whole world has changed. Uh, grinder has, has changed everything. Because grinder will eventually mm. lead to the death of the gay bar. Eventually. Mm. Because fundamentally, it recognises that most people went to a gay bar not to hear the music, but to try and meet new people. And now grinder can bespoke the new people that you meet. One of the first times I went to a gay bar, they went bananas when they played I Heard a Rumour by Bananarama. Sorry, I didn't mean an un- unintentional pun. <laughs> and I just thought, this is a, a relatively mediocre song by a likeable but fundamentally not groundbreaking all-female English vocal group. What's going on? <laughs> my, my biggest act of defiance once was in a gay pub in Manchester putting a song from Radiohead's OK Computer on just to see what would happen. Uh, and everyone just stared at me and wished I was dead. And I really, really enjoyed it. Going, it's better than steps. <laughs> it's better than steps. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Paul, thank you so, so, so much. It's been brilliant. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks so much again. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. Take care. Bye-bye. And I'll close this. <laughs> get rid of this screen. These people are laughing at me. <laughs> I, just, I just want these people to get, get the f*** out of my life. <laughs> So now is the time in the show where we take a look in our mailbox. It's your chance to have your questions answered by an accredited sex and relationships therapist. If you have any queries for Kate, you can send them in via email to podcasts at hatchet.com. That's hatchet with two T's. And don't worry, we'll keep your anonymity unless you say otherwise, which is the case this week. We have uh, this question from Anonymous, who says, I recently found out my partner had an affair. 
which was a devastating bombshell. I'm definitely not over it at all. But weirdly, we're having a lot of really good sex. This seems right at the time, but should we be doing this? No, this happens to a lot of couples. It's a kind of way of rebonding after what's happened. Um, Quite often, people do that for a while and then they come to a point where they don't want to do it anymore or often the other partner who hasn't had the affair decides they want to stop being so close but it is a it is quite a common phase that people go through after an affair mm, that is, that's really interesting mm. so we have another one here uh, another mm-hmm. anonymous my girlfriend loves having her nipples lit and sucked uh, i sometimes reading these out to you uh, I'll, I'll try and start again my girlfriend loves having her nipples licked and sucked but they're really hairy and this puts me off i find i'm avoiding lovemaking should i just put up with it or should i tell her Oh, that sounds quite sad. Um, Obviously, it would be better to be honest. You could do more touch than oral touching, but it's better to be honest and just explain because obviously she might not be aware, but it needs some sensitivity. So maybe while you're licking, you could say, oh, little hair here, you know, like that. Or maybe not. I mean, it really does depend on being incredibly sensitive, I think. Um, But it is a conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, especially if they like it, you know. Yeah, these things are so difficult. Mm. But I always say secrets are so much worse than being honest. And you have a a difficult conversation and then it's over with. Secrets are so much worse. I want that on a T-shirt. Mm. that's brilliant that would be a good t-shirt well thank you for all your submissions to Kate again if you'd like to put a query to Kate about anything sex or relationship related or would just like to get in touch we're podcasts at hattrick.com that's hattrick with two t's a big thank you to Paul Sinhar and Kate Campbell cheers mum cheers digs and see you next week for more real sex education bye bye you've been listening to the real sex education which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell The show is produced by Andy Goddard and Diggory Waite. The Real Sex Education is a Hattrick podcast. If you'd like to hear more podcasts by Hattrick, including Time Ghost with Alexander Armstrong and Ben Miller, just search Hattrick Podcasts on your podcast provider of choice. This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between the host, Diggory Waite, and his mother, accredited sex therapist, Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his co-host was Gillian Anderson. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.